have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to the little book of Philemon. Did you know that Paul's letters are placed in the New Testament in the order of their size? So what that tells you is go to the last uh, uh, Pauline letter and you will find Philemon. We're going to look at this book for the weeks to come. And uh, I, I love this book. I love, love the letter to Philemon. So I hope you are orientated. Look at your Bible and follow along. Let's read this. It takes less than four minutes. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. More than likely, Philemon or perhaps Archippus was the pastor of this church, and we're going to see that he had household servants, and one in particular by the name of Onesimus. But let's continue. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. That's the key verse of this uh, little letter. That's a great definition of fellowship, real fellowship. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. There's the result of real fellowship, the refreshing relationships in Christ. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what's proper, I am an apostle after all, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both of both you and to me. That's a play on words in the Greek. Onesimus means useful. And so he's saying, I appeal to you for my child, useful, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful, living up to his name, both to you and me. I've sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. So Onesimus, this runaway slave from Philemon, encounters providentially Christ, while uh, Christ, he encounters Christ through Paul in prison, who is imprisoned in Rome, and now he's being sent back. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I didn't want to do anything so that your goodness would not be, as it were, by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason... 
perhaps in God's providence, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. (laughs) So it's classic. It's classic right there. Yes, brother, let me benefit you. Benefit. From you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. There's the repetition. Real fellowship for refreshing relationships. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Oh, man, that is a great encouragement and letter. So how does this little letter, it's not the shortest book in the New Testament, 3 John is that, but it's the shortest letter Paul wrote. How does this little letter fit into God's big story? So all we're going to do today is I'm going to orientate you to how this little letter fits into God's big story. So let's begin looking at this. Philemon is one of 13 God-inspired letters Paul wrote to churches and leaders. So Paul wrote 13 letters, and if you look at your handout... I have them all listed there for you, okay? And if you look, here's here's the purpose for all of Paul's letters. He is seeking to establish disciples in local churches in making fully devoted Christ followers who will grow to maturity. That's his first six letters. Yeah, six. And then serve in ministry. Those are his next four letters. And invest their lives to multiply God's kingdom locally and globally. And that's his last three letters. So uh, over 30 years ago, I discovered this and and was uh, saw this. Uh, we're going through a process with our leaders. And if you notice, Paul has a pathway to making disciples. And it goes like this. You, you evangelize the lost. And then you grow them in maturity so that they can serve in ministry. And as more and more serve in ministry, you begin to multiply leaders that can then multiply churches. And that's exactly. So here I've listed all 13 of his letters. They're in chronological order. And if you notice, the, so the maturity letters are Galatians through Romans. And here's how I like to say it. Galatians is all about the gospel. Okay, it's all, if you don't get the gospel right, then none of this is going to work. Okay, so it all begins with Galatians. Then, how do you know a person or a church is mature and they've gone through the maturity process of these letters? It's when they can read Romans and they don't freak out. 
Are you with me? So when you can read Romans and you don't skip 9 through 11 and you don't try to retwist what he says, when, you can, when you're establishing the gospel, then Romans becomes sweet to you. And notice, here's how I remember these things. So Galatians, is the, on his first missionary journey, he wrote one letter, Galatians. On his second missionary letter uh, journey, he wrote two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. On his third missionary journey, he wrote three letters, First, Second Corinthians, and Romans. So right there, boom, you got it. Maturity in the gospel, okay? Then the ministry letters. Uh, establishing people, uh, disciples as learners in their relationship, fellowship, membership, and par- partnership in the gospel. We'll talk more about that. And these are written during his first imprisonment in Rome. And you can see Philemon is strategically in there as the second of these letters. And as we'll see, he wrote Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians all at the same time. So he wrote Colossians and Philemon going to Colossians. As the ink dried on those letters, he wrote Ephesians and he sent them. And then at the end of his imprisonment, he writes Philippians. Then you have the last three, the pastoral epistles, or as I like to call them, the multiply, multiplication letters. And the last letter is written in his second imprisonment as he's about to be beheaded by Rome. So there you go. So here's what I want you to see. This little letter, just like every book in the Bible plays a big role in God's big story. And it plays a big role in Paul's pathway of discipleship. We need to know. Listen, the reason I take time for this is we need to know how the Holy Spirit has put together God's book, the Bible. And it's great to read the Bible in the order of the canon, the order that we have received it in, 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 in our, our, our Bibles, but it's also good to look at them chronologically. And so, because after all, the way they're ordered in your Bible is from large to small. <laughs> okay, so there's, it's not like there's necessarily a, 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 a theme in there. Here you see Paul's progressive theme. And notice... The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's like Amazon. It's the A to the Zs. All of these letters to establish maturity. Evangelism comes through the gospel. Maturity is being grounded in the gospel. Ministry is progressing in the gospel. And multiplying churches and raising up leaders is to guard and entrust the gospel. And so this is what Paul's heartbeat is. But let's take a closer look at the four, what I'm calling the ministry letters. Let's look at those and see Philemon is one of four ministry letters Paul wrote while in prison in Rome. Now, if you're familiar with these letters, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians, you'll know they're often called prison epistles because he's written in prison. But I want to present to you that they are prison epistles, but they're also ministry epistles. And I kind of show, I've already shown you why that is, but let's, let's look at this. Philemon is one of four. So his first imprisonment lasted two years, and we can find out about it at the end of the book of Acts. So everything in the book of Acts happens, the three uh, missionary journeys, 
the writing of Galatians through Romans all happens. And then the last book of Acts says this, and I have it in your notes just for time. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. So he's imprisoned and yet he's free to minister. Prison letters? Yeah, but ministry letters, okay? And people are coming and going. And one of those people that comes, and we don't know how, we don't know how this happened, is a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus, who Paul leads to Christ while he is chained to a Roman guard. He expected to be released soon, but was ready to be executed if that was God's will. But he expected to be released soon. So look at Philemon again, verse 22. He's writing from that prison in Rome. At the same time, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So here's what I want you to see. His first imprisonment led to being released for more ministry on earth. Okay? So his first imprisonment led to being released for more ministry on earth. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to see this. Philippians 1. 21 through 26, first imprisonment, last of the ministry epistles written. Here's what he says at the end of that time. Philippians 1, 21 through 26. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I, don't know, I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Can we get an amen on that, right? Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He's writing the Philippians at the, near the end of his imprisonment, and he fully expects to be released for more ministry on earth. But Paul's second imprisonment led to being released for great reward in heaven. For great reward in heaven. Let's go to 2 Timothy and look at how he writes at the end of his second imprisonment in Rome. So for that, we want to turn to 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8. Notice what he says, 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Why? Because I'm about to exit stage left. Okay, look at what he says. For I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Not release from pr prison, release to reward in heaven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. But Timothy, listen, not only to me, but also to all 
who have loved His appearing. Isn't that beautiful? Totally different uh, confidence. One, I'm confident I'm going to be released more ministry on this earth, though I desire to be with Christ. Second imprisonment, I'm very confident I'm going to heaven and great reward. So, it's written from prison, but the focus is on ministry. So, here's I want to give you two principles. Here's the first principle. Prison epistles are ministry epistles. So, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, and Philippians are often called prison epistles because Paul's writing from prison. But I want you to see they're ministry epistles. And the reason they're ministry epistles is because ministry is the result of being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there because, first of all, he was enslaved to Christ. Are you with me? He lived his life for Christ. And sometimes that's going to land you in prison. So notice what I want you to see. In in Philemon alone, prisoner is mentioned three times. And chains, and some of your Bibles translate chains sometimes for what they represent, imprisonment two times. And so here's a letter about a runaway slave. Yet who's in chains in this letter? It's Paul. And the first and foremost way way he is enslaved is he's enslaved to the great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do his bidding and to do his will. That's what I want you to see. So here's, here's a couple points under that. First of all, becoming Christ's servant always means voluntarily losing your rights to serve in order to serve Christ in his church. So here's what I want you to see. Becoming Christ's servant, getting saved, you become a servant of Christ. And that always means that you voluntarily lose your rights in order to do His will to serve others. Make sense? So a voluntary... uh, Basically, when you got saved, you became a prisoner of Christ. Does that make sense? So... uh, Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a prisoner of Christ. Good to meet you. I'm a prisoner. Go ahead, Gwen. You can do it. I'm a prisoner of Christ. That's who I am. How often do we think of our identity that way? And yet Paul did. So the second thing, and that's what he said. Notice he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That first reference, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I think Paul writes that over his whole life. He's not saying that so much at that point, I'm a prisoner because of serving Christ. He's saying, no, I'm, I'm the slave, the prisoner. I'm chained to Christ. And wherever Christ goes, I go where he goes. He's chained to a guard. So he can't go anywhere unless that guard takes him. He, we're chained to Christ. And we don't go, we don't go if he doesn't go, and we go where he goes. So that's the idea. So here's the second thing. Paul sometimes refers to his helpers as fellow prisoners, even though they are not in chains like him. I'm not convinced that when he says in Philemon 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, I'm not convinced that. Epaphras is a literal prisoner in chains. 
Because when you read Colossians, the church at Colossae had sent Epaphras to minister to Paul in his chains. Now, possibly by helping Paul, which he was allowed to do by law, maybe he got in prison too. But I think the point is, I'm free, but I'm hanging out in prison with Paul to serve him. I'm a fellow prisoner because that's just how you do it. And that's what real fellowship is like. You get down and dirty with where people are. So that's, that's the, the first thing. The second thing is kind of the opposite principle. I want you to see this. Ministry epistles are prison epistles. Ministry epistles are prison epistles. Why? Because imprisonment can sometimes be the result of living as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're always a prisoner of Christ. But as you live as a prisoner of Christ, that can land you in real prison. Are you with me? So, you know, basic what I'm trying to get you to see, what has often been called prison epistles are just and maybe more importantly called ministry epistles because being a prisoner to Christ is what ministry is about and that can land you in real prison. And so look at verse 9 of Philemon, or um, I should give you the principle here. Being Christ's servant sometimes means involuntarily losing your rights as you serve Christ in his church. And see, that's why Paul could say, it's okay, whatever happens, because I'm already a prisoner of Christ. And hey, if that means real prison, so be it. If that means being free and not in prison, so be it. But that's the principle. And, and the re, notice how he says in verse 9. So look at Philemon again. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person, Paul, aged, means he, I'm an old man, respect an old man's wishes, and now also a prisoner of Christ. Now also, my ministry has now landed me in prison. I think that's the idea. Now, here's the second point. Even though ministry could lead to imprisonment, imprisonment often led to multiplied ministry. Okay, this is beautiful. I, I just get excited about this. Because it makes sense of Paul's life. And if you're hurting, if you're seemingly bound by circumstances, this should be encouraging to you that even though ministry could land you in imprisonment, or let's just say suffering, suffering often leads to multiplied ministry. You with me? Changes your whole perspective on being limited. Oh, I wish I was here, but I'm... I mean, I wish I was there, but I'm here. Okay, but that can be multiplied ministry. I wish I, I felt better... And had better health, but that's okay. You can have multiplied ministry. So let's look at a couple ways Paul's ministry was multiplied, even though he is not free to leave, he's under house arrest. Number one, Paul had to write letters like this one to Philemon. <laughs> you, do you realize we got four letters that we wouldn't possibly have because he's in prison and he can't go there? So what's he do? He writes the divine word of God. Beautiful, beautiful. Number two, 
Paul's absent meant others had to be equipped to minister in his place. And one of those guys is Archippus, my fellow soldier. Cody, what, what, what would you do if you got a letter from Paul? It says, Greek Cody, my fellow soldier. I mean, is that just not the greatest thing? And you know what Paul's doing? He's saying, hey, you're going to have to fight the good fight because I'm in prison here and you're there. And then he says to Archippus in the book of Col- in the letter to Colossians, which these two were sent at the same time, Colossians, Philemon. He says, say to Archippus, fulfill your ministry. Why? Because I got to have, I got to have you out there in the battle because I'm, I'm stuck here in Rome right now. Third, Paul had to depend on his converts and churches to minister him like Epaphras and Onesimus did. If you notice in Paul's letters in these prison epistles, he's always writing, oh, thank you for sending this guy because he ministered to me and I'm sending this guy back to you. And it's a beautiful thing. And and it's hard for us leaders to acknowledge this or maybe you're the independent type and it's hard for you. It's hard for us to understand that God puts us in a place where we need others to minister to us. It was a healthy thing for Paul to be bound to where he had to depend on those that he was spiritually over. And that's what fellowship is. See, fellowship isn't top down. Fellowship is one another. Or as Roger likes to say, what is it, the last six inches? The last two feet. Okay, well, I just kind of made it shorter, the last six inches. The last two feet. That's what we're talking about here. I may have to steal that for the rest of the series. Because it's, it's the last two feet where fellowship happens. Okay. So he says, hey, thanks for sending. Hey, Colossi, thanks for sending Epaphras to me. He's my fellow prisoner. Maybe he's in change. Maybe he's just there to minister to me. And by the way, that runaway slave, I led him to Christ. Could you, leave, could you free him? I'm sending him back. But could you free him? Because, boy, has he been a, minute, a blessing to me. Fourth, Paul's example was intended to motivate Philemon. So here's the thing. When you lose all your rights... You kind of have a, a, a boldness to say, hey, why don't you surrender your rights? So here, that's what he's saying to Philemon. He's saying, Philemon, release your right to punish this runaway slave. Release your right to hold on to him, set him free. After all, I'm in prison because I've released all my rights to the Lord. Isn't that powerful? And so instead of forcing Philemon, he's saying, hey, live life like I do, a prisoner of Christ. And then Paul had to prepare the churches to mature and multiply without him. Because here's, uh, uh, alert, alert, turn to your neighbor and say, you ain't living forever. Okay, you ain't living forever. And say, and now I do want you to do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're one day closer. You're one day closer. You're one day. Now, after that encouragement, right? You're one day closer. Yeah, but, but folks, we ought to be thinking that way. We're not, I'm not going to be here all the, forever. You're not going to be here for your, parent, your kids forever. You, we've got to prepare people for our departure. And so that's why he writes the multiplying, what, what are called the pastoral epistles. Oh, let's look at them as the multiplying epistles. He's like, hey, I'm on my way out. Timothy, Titus, you got to raise up faithful men. 
we got to keep multiplying. And then finally, Paul understood that God and his word are never chained, even when he was. I love this. Don't, you just got to love this. Look at this. 2 Timothy 2. I want you to see it in your Bibles. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. I want you to see this. This is, this is so cool. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. So again, his last letter. He's in prison for the second time. He knows he's about to die. And here's what he says. 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It's okay if I die. I will rise again. And descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a trustworthy saying. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Those first two are saying, hey, persevere. Those last two say there are consequences if we do not persevere. God's sovereign. His word's not bound. Listen, if, 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 if you fall flat on your face, like apparently Shirley did, God's, he, he's going to take, you can trust him. You can trust him. His word is not bound. Beautiful, beautiful hope. Okay, so what are these four ministry letters supposed to teach us? Here's the third point. Third point. Paul's ministry letters... Reveal the secret to faithful and fruitful ministry. They reveal the secret. You say, Chris, how can I minister like Paul did? How can I minister like Phoebe did? How can I minister like Aquila and Priscilla did? How can I minister like these men and women? Onesimus, Philemon. How do I do it? You have to grow in Christ. That's the secret. You have to grow in Christ. G-R-O-W. That's the summary of the four ministry epistles. So look on your... your. Uh, oh, I take, I take that back. I have it in your notes. So here, here, here's how we're going to look at it. The order of the letters, Colossians, Philemon, Ephesians, Philippians. There's a message in that order. First of all, you've got to grow, you have to have a growing relationship. The G in grow is a growing relationship with Christ through His Word and Spirit. And you know what book is all about that? Colossians. Colossians. It's all about Christ, growing in Christ. Just as you receive Christ, so walk in Him, rooted and grounded. Second, R for grow is real fellowship with one another. Out of your relationship with Christ, out of the overflow of your relationship, you have fellowship with one another. Guess what book that is? Philemon. Written at the same time. Now, where do you find people who have growing relationships and fellowship with one another? There's only one place on this planet outstanding membership in a local church. That's the O in grow. What book is that? 
Ephesians, all about the local church, head, body. God gave pastors, teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's where it is. Now, here's what's interesting. These are all written at the same time. You know why? Because you can't separate a growing relationship, real fellowship, from outstanding membership. They all go together and they're all written together. And yet it takes time to mature into ministry. And the W is wholehearted partnership in the work of the ministry. Guess what book is about? Philippians. If, have you ever read Philippians? See, this is what's interesting about books of the Bible. Is they're known for certain things, but sometimes you've got to look underneath that. So Philippians is all about what one word? Three-letter word. Joy. Joy. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. But you know where that joy comes from? It comes from being partnered together in the ministry. It's not joy for joy's sake. Hey, come to Christ so you can be happy all the time. No, come to Christ so you can be teamed and become members and work in the ministry. And your joy comes from J-O-Y, Jesus, and then others, and then you. Beautiful. And it's written at the end of his imprisonment. Now, folks, I'm telling you everything I know about the Pauline epistles right here. And it's worth its weight in gold. This ain't academic stuff. This is real life Holy Spirit-inspired progression for making disciples. So, let's answer the question. How does the letter of Philemon relate to Paul's other ministry letters? Well, let's, let's, look, let's go back so I, I can illustrate. So, here's the deal. Here's how they relate. First of all, oh, I, yeah, yeah, we can do this. Because you, you have your notes filled out for this, right? Yeah, okay, so here we go. So here's how they relate. This is the only ministry epistle written to an individual. Written to a church, written to a church, written to a church. Hmm. Written to an even individual. You know why? Because that's how fellowship's done. Isn't it, Dane? Me and you, together, one another's. That's how it's done. It's done personal. It's done individual. In the context of a church... But do you see how he's writing this? He's saying, hey, you're, you, you know, you, you read these letters to these churches, and don't you sometimes say, well, how, what was it really like? Well, you know what? It was just like your life and mine. It was messy. Philippians is messy, and we'll get into the mess coming. I mean, a pastor, household servant, runs away. What are you going to do? Whip him when he comes back? Are you going to re- I mean, it's messy. And it's uncomfortable, and it's awkward. Okay, so that's, that's number one. Number two, while the, pers- while the letter is personal, it was not written to be private. So even though this is a personal letter, he addresses other people in the church, Aphia and Archippus. And he, sa- he sends greetings, and down through church history, we have been reading Philemon's mail publicly. So it's a personal letter. But fellowship is not to be isolated or hidden in a corner. It's to be public. It's personal, but it's never private. Number three, true biblical fellowship never happens in isolation from the membership in a local church. Folks, 
Real fellowship overflows from a growing relationship, but it always, it always, if it's real fellowship, flows into outstanding membership in a local church. Do you, am I, I hope I'm convincing you that these go together, okay? Number four, let's zero in on the letter itself. Now we're going to zero in. I've, we've gone broad, now we're going down. Philemon is the shortest and most personal of Paul's letters. And you should be able to tell me why now. You should be able to say, well, in light of the 13 letters of Paul, these are the four ministry epistles, relationship, fellowship, membership, and uh, partnership. Therefore, it's not surprising that Philemon is written to an individual and is the most personal and shortest letter he ever wrote. You now know why that is. This letter has 25 verses. We took less than four minutes. So could I challenge you, if not every day, for the next several weeks, at least once a week, read this short letter, write down a new observation. That's it. That's all it. It'd take you 10 minutes. 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week. Go for it. Number The first thing I want you to see about this letter, it pulsates with the vibe of real fellowship. Am I using that word right? Dana, you got your pulse on the, on the younger crowd. I decided to do that. I could put a lot of things. It's got a vibe to it. And you know what the vibe is? The vibe is it's warm. It's affectionate. It just feels good. And yet, it's a little awkward. It's a little tense at times. That's what real fellowship is. If you think real fellowship is this... You know, no, real fellowship is, you know, right? It's a little give and take. And it can, it, 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 but it's warm. It's affectionate. Yet it's firm. Then, secondly, no fewer than 11 people are mentioned. Can you imagine he wrote 25 verses and he gets 11 people mentioned. And I have on the back of this chart, you can see the 11 people. And I just want you to read down through the descriptors. It's amazing. There are all descriptors of real fellowship. My child, my heart, refreshing the saints. Refresh my heart. Brother, beloved, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Finally, and we'll end with this, the letter's value is completely out of proportion to its size. What was that childhood story, the little train that, that could. This is the little letter that could. This little letter can impact your life in ways all beyond the proportion of its size. First of all, just some areas, and we'll develop these in the weeks to come. First of all, there's ethical value. It, it, it balances how to motivate someone without manipulating them. It, it models how to how to get people to do what you want without bullying them or forcing them or intimidating them there's providential value i think this is beautiful the difficult things in your life god is at work remember we just came out of mary that god works in the ordinary runaway slave and he stole he probably stole from philemon what a bummer what good is in that well, God is in that. 
God was in that to win Onesimus to Christ and to teach Philemon what real fellowship is. Hey, next time you're crossways with someone, remember, it's an opportunity for real fellowship. God is providentially working in your life. Uh, Third, there's practical value. Uh, The application of some of the highest principles in the lowest of circumstances, okay? So, like, if Christianity can work in a runaway slave, it can work in your life, too. Evangelical value. There's encouragement to seek, to save, and accept into fellowship the lowest of the low. Listen, nobody, listen to me, nobody is unworthy of your friendship and fellowship in this church. Nobody. Yeah, but they're not like me. Well, that makes the fellowship all the more Christ-exalting. Yeah, but they don't smell right. Well, maybe you need to check yourself out. You know, you may not always smell right either. I mean, there's all, I mean, listen, our flesh comes up with every reason why us versus them. Okay, but in Christ, Philemon breaks all that down. It breaks all that down. And, and, and let me, the pressure's off. None of us are perfect at this, okay? Philemon wasn't. And neither are we. Neither am I. Spiritual value. Illustration of the gospel in everyday relationships. Again, messy, messy. This is a messy situation. The gospel can handle it. The gospel can handle your mess too. And then the social value. Example of how Christianity can even transform the lowest of cultural customs. Listen, Philemon down through the ages of church history has been a powerful sledgehammer for breaking the chains of slavery. A little letter about how to receive a runaway slave in Christ was totally dismantling the slave system of Rome. And it should in our hearts as well. And then let's end with this, the theological value. There are profound pictures of the gospel in this little letter. It seems like it's not a very theological letter, but it pulsates with the gospel. So let's look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. And I'm going to show you all the pictures of the gospel in 15 through 20. For perhaps he, Onesimus, was for this reason separated from you for a while. Right there is providence. That you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. There's reconciliation of the gospel, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. Substitution. Substitution. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Justification. I declare this to be true. I will repay it. There's redemption. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Real fellowship. Beloved, 
Can we pray as a class that in the weeks to come, we would break through the barriers to real fellowship? That we would remove any roadblocks in our hearts, that we would ask the Spirit to remove any roadblocks in our hearts to real fellowship. There's barriers to be broken. There's roadblocks to be removed. And perhaps there is forgiveness to be offered freely. But the outcome is going to be refreshing relationships. Are you excited? Yeah, okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful book, this little book that's a part of your big story. And we're going to see next week that there's no little people in your big story. But Lord, tonight, today, let, let's just start with reveling in the beauty of your word. It's not there to collect dust. It's not there to just give us information. It's there for transformation. It's written with purpose. It's written by the ink of your son's blood. It's written with the power of the spirit. It, it, it's meant to transform. God, revive us. Refresh us. Let us experience in the weeks to come real fellowship, first with you, then with one another. And let the world know and see that we are truly your disciples because of our love for one another. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, Amen.